0: In the year 2000, I started attending St. Paul's School of Theology in Kansas City. I've told the story of how I wound up there before. Although I find it fascinating, I won't go there again today. Instead, I want to share how it felt to start in a seminary at the turn of the millennium, knowing little to nothing about two necessary subjects, theology and computers. On the three-hour trip, From Springfield to my dorm room on Truman Road, I brought two essential items, a rocking chair to study in and a laptop. I had lots of practice with the rocking chair, three kids, but the laptop, computers in general, not so much. Remember the dial-up sound as the computer connected to the internet at what we thought was miraculous speed? I was very pleased that I could do that much and I had a vague idea of how to use Microsoft Word to write papers. I mean, my kids all told me it was easy and self-explanatory, and okay, I'm easy and self-explanatory too. The first week during orientation, we were told to get familiar with the use of the school's library. Apparently, seminary would require a lot of research and the staff at the library was willing and able to help us. So, wanting to continue being the overachiever I had always tried to be, I went immediately to the library and asked for help. Basically, I just wanted Library 101. The librarian nicely sat me down at one of their computers, stood beside me and said, Now, just key in a famous theologian you would like to know more about. And I thought, Stop right there. That's why I was in seminary. I was someone with an undergraduate degree in nursing, some graduate work in group dynamics, two years of training as a chaplain, but I could not, for the life of me, pull up the name of a theologian. I must have had my deer in the headlights look because he kindly suggested, how about Karl Barth? As if that was someone I should recognize, so I keyed in C-A-R-L-B-A-R-T. And with a chuckle, he corrected me. You know, the very famous Swiss Reformed theologian, K-A-R-L-B-A-R-T-H? Delete, delete, delete. Try again. Spell it correctly. And wow, a huge list of books and articles and papers and journals and chapters and books appeared. I quickly realized this Bart Guy was a person I should have known about before I even applied to seminary. I immediately said, "Uh, thank you, that's enough for now, you are so kind, and headed back to my dorm room and my rocking chair. Something I understood as I rocked, I thought over and over again, what on earth am I doing here? Who do I think I am? Who am I trying to fool? I definitely didn't pull one over on that young whippersnapper librarian, did I? Ever been there? In over your head? Wondering how on earth you're going to do the next thing? Take the next step? Wanting to learn, but feeling inadequate? Fighting the way forward is much too complicated? Being a disciple of Jesus means we will press on. Because I believe in the core of my soul. To pursue after Christ and do as he did, live as he lived, love as he loved, is the way our messed-up, climate-warming, pandemic-ravaged, anger-filled world will be restored. When we say yes to becoming disciples of Jesus Christ, we're often going to find ourselves in over our heads. That's what's happening to each new group of Christians spreading throughout the world thousands of years ago. From Jerusalem to Rome, throughout the regions of Macedonia and Galatia, people were learning of the new life found in Jesus Christ. They have learned of the one true God who loves them and is for them. They have learned that the way forward will mean that all people have value and they are called to care for the widow and the orphans. Their experience of freedom that comes from knowing their identity is in Christ who gave himself up for their sake. They belong to him now and forever. And they are in way over their heads. To live this life where love is the rule, forgiveness is vital, compassion is a way of life, require new learning, intentionality, sacrifice. It may require giving up relationships because they are dangerous, harmful, oppressive. It may mean letting people into their life they would have chosen to exclude, rethinking societal rules of patriarchy, slavery, oppression. The writer of Ephesians understands how difficult it is to press on. He knows it feels as if you're swimming upstream and being pushed and pulled backwards. He knows how much easier it would be to go back, but there can be no going back. He's writing with urgency, with a sense that those hearing these words are being given the privilege and the responsibility to change the world. Their world then, our world now, desperately needs what they have to offer. They have Christ, the hope of the world, the Savior of the world. Here are these words from Ephesians 5. I'm reading from the message version. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God, huge drafts of Him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything, any excuse for a song, to God the Father in the name of our Master Jesus Christ. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. I hear the Apostle Paul speaking through the ages in these words. When he writes, watch your step, he's telling us we're going to need to move forward. You don't have to tell someone who's standing still to watch their step. You say that to someone who is going to walk in unfamiliar terrain, for whom the way may be treacherous, who may be older and need to be cautious, but is still walking through a new doorway, down a new path. You tell people to watch their step when you've stumbled first, and you don't want them to make the same mistakes. Sometimes, if you're leading, you turn and reach behind you to show them the danger, to alert them to a bump in the road. But always forward, upstream, (laughs) maybe at times, but we can't stay where we are and change the world. Use your head. Remember what you've learned in the past and get ready to learn more in the future. You and I have the capacity to learn. It's an incredible gift. We can expand our understanding of everything from viruses to the universe. We learn differently, we learn uniquely, but we all learn. Paul is asking us to use our head, our common sense, as well as our education. Asking, does this fit what you have learned about a God of love? Would Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for the salvation of the world, do this? Do that? Use your head. Think. One of my favorite passages of scripture is found in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, where he writes, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just... Whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you've got. These are desperate times. Let's think about that for a moment. Thousands of years ago, Paul wrote, they were living in desperate times. And they were. Of course they were. Death from war and illness. Children died often in infancy and mothers in childbirth. No one understood what a germ was or the importance of washing their hands. Diseases ran rampant and entire populations were decimated. To this desperate world, Christ followers were bringing a new way of light and life and salvation to a dark, dying, corrupt world. They were risking their very lives by standing up for Jesus and the people he loved, the marginalized, the outcast, the forgotten. The world was spinning out of control, so much so that God came to redeem it. And if you squint, and look or lean in and listen, you can recognize that we too are living in desperate times. The news this week about the pandemic continues to be appalling and deadly. We're on a red alert to correct climate change before it is too late. The Taliban is taking over cities one by one. So we too are instructed to do as Paul told the Ephesians, make the most of every chance you've got This world belongs to God. It was created by God and redeemed by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We have every chance to participate in its restoration. Make the most of it. Pray for the healing of the nations. Share your truth about why you chose to be vaccinated. Offer to help others at clinics. Support the caregivers. Encourage the exhausted. Use your head and think of ways you can alleviate the suffering, mitigate the spread, strengthen the weary. Watch your step when you purchase something. Is this contributing to climate change? Could I do this another way? Encourage recycling, diminish your carbon footprint. Write, read, learn about how your family might make a difference in the world now, not later. Not leave it for the next generation. It's too late for that. What could you do today? Teach your children today. Watch your step as you move forward, but also watch those coming behind you. Could you make their way smoother? Teach them by your mistakes? Give them the hope in Jesus Christ? We need you to consider working with our own children here at the downtown church. One of my concerns is that in the past 18 months, we've missed the opportunity as a church To do what we promised to do. Teach them the stories of Jesus, the songs of childhood, the way they are of value to us all. And if not here, where could you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, lead another person up the stream where they could find what they need in these desperate times? Make the most of every chance you've got. And those chances are all around you chances to learn, to grow, to use your head, to watch your step, to engage with Jesus in redeeming this world. The chances aren't lost. They're all still there. While I was at Saint Paul, my daughter Emily was at the University of Tulsa. When I would be working on my laptop and becoming stuck about how to fix something, put in a footnote, a line right or left or whatever, I would call her, and she would walk me through it, or I would send it to her, and she would fix it. I don't know that I have ever really thanked her enough for those times. She pulled me out of the rocking chair and back to the desk in my dorm. But once, somewhere along my second year, I was saying, I'm just so tired of retyping something. I've deleted again and again. And Emily said... Just use the undo key. What? Are you kidding me? Undo, what? Nothing was lost? The little gremlins that lived in my laptop didn't eat everything? Undo? It was life-changing. Go back, try again, the work's still there. It just needed to be found and redone. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we will sing your praises. We'll walk forward with you. Lord, we cry out because we are living in desperate times. Help us to cry out in hope, in love, with courage, for you have shown us the way. We'll watch our step, use our heads, make the most of every chance and press on to change the world. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.